Hello, welcome to Consume This. This is a pre-election panel debate. We recorded this live in front of an audience at The Grand on Courtney Place in Wellington. I'm about to drop you straight into the action, but first, my co-host Sophie has something she needs to say about her work. Yes, hello. Just a quick disclaimer, before we get into the podcast, in my normal nine-to-five, I am a public servant, and also I am married to a banker. So all the views expressed in this podcast and in all other podcasts that I happen to be in are my own and do not represent the views of the New Zealand Public Service or any government department. Cool, thank you, yeah. Soph. Tēnā uh, koutou katoa, um, I'm John Duffy. It's my job to introduce our panellists for tonight, and I thought I'd just start with a bit of a point of clarification on how the panel has been made up. Obviously, there are four people on stage, but this is a good-looking and well-educated audience, and you will note that there are more parties in our political system than are represented here. We've compiled this panel from parties that have members in the House, we did approach to Party Māori to participate, but they were, they were unable to pull that together for tonight. Uh, let me introduce you to tonight's panel before I invite each panellist up to give us their, um, their 90 seconds. Now, you can do that, panellists, from the seated position if, if you'd prefer, or you can stand up if you'd like to appear more dominant. Um, so firstly, can I introduce Damien Smith? Damien's a list, list MP for the ACT Party. Uh, he is a Commerce and Consumer Affairs spokesman for ACT. And a quick question, who can tell me what the C in ACT stands for? Anyone? Consumer. Very interesting. Top marks, crowd. Julianne Genta is a list MP for the Green Party and their transport spokesperson. Um, <laughs> representing the Labour Party is Ingrid Leary. Now, Ingrid, uh, we're really grateful for her being here tonight. She's standing in for Dr Duncan Webb, who couldn't make it tonight. Ingrid is the MP for Taieri, and she is the chair of Parliament's Finance and Expenditure Committee. And then, last but not least, Andrew Bailey for the National Party. Andrew is... M- Port Waikato and uh, Nationals Commerce and Consumer Affairs spokesperson Andrew is also a man who notices when you've shaved your beard as I experienced today in the week so thank you Andrew. Uh, With those introductions done I'd like to invite Damien Smith to make his opening remarks. Damien. Thank you. Consumers of New Zealand isn't this the greatest magazine that exists in the country and you fund it and you got choice. Um, it feels like we've all got a tombstone here. Does it look like that? Um, but it's as close as I hope to get for a while. Um, ACT is uh, the fastest growing party in New Zealand by number of MPs and by vote. And um, we're obviously doing something right. But I really enjoy working with my colleagues uh, in the consumer space because the, we do attempt to make the best laws as we can. But there have been some unfortunate um, deviations from that with the Consumer Credit Finance Act, which I'm sure some of you may experience with regards to trying to get some uh, money from a bank, as an example. And your organization was the first organization to stop transfer fees across ATMs, um, which was down to your fine political lobbying. And uh, it's a great service that, you know, you guys do. We... um, we believe that the consumer has freedom of choice, free rights to um, spend their money the way they want to, um, minimize taxes so you can keep your money in your pocket and buy fridges and blenders and all sorts of stuff. Um, and at the same time, um, you can actually enjoy your life and be free. 
So um, I look forward to this evening and taking any questions later on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Damien. Julianne. Kia ora koutou. I'm Julianne Genter. I've been a member of parliament for the Green Party for um, 12 years, and I'm standing as the candidate for Rongatai in this election. And I joined the Green Party because I absolutely know that we are able to work together to create a better future, to protect our planet and to look after each other. And we need some serious changes in central government policy to enable people, families, communities to respond to the multiple crises we're facing. You all will have seen the news about the record temperatures being broken in the Northern Hemisphere, the out of control fires in many different countries. Um, we were hit here in Aotearoa with uh, horrendous flooding events and Cyclone Gabriel, and all of that has a real impact on people's lives. And our ability to thrive in the future is at threat if we don't take action working together to combat the climate crisis. At the same time, the cost of living crisis is hitting people we have a number of small corporates making record profits, including fossil fuel companies. In New Zealand, the banks have raked in $7 billion in the each year in the last two years in profit. Um, the supermarkets were making excess profit of $1 million a day. The system is out of balance and we need to put it back into balance. Protecting consumers' rights is about protecting people against big corporate power and government has to step in to do that. And doing that, we can have the resources we need to invest in a transition that looks after everyone. Thank you, Julianne. Uh, Ingrid Leary for Labour. Hello, consumers. Um, just first want to acknowledge that it has been really difficult over the last few years um, due to COVID, due to the inflation pandemic, due to the weather events. And so what Labor is promising to continue to do is take a balanced approach. That means uh, targeting support to those who need it because we know there are people who do need it and there's a whole suite of measures that we have taken uh, around transport for single parents, free lunches in schools, prescription fees, the, the list goes on. But the best single thing we can do for the whole population is bring inflation down. Currently it's it's 6%, it's fallen a little bit. Um, it's projected to get between 2 to 3% by the end of next year. Um, but that won't happen if we try to support everybody, particularly people in what is called the squeeze middle. It is tough, we do have to get through it together, but we have chosen to target our support to those at the lower end that really need it. We're also uh, trying to grow the economy. Um, and if we look at our debt spend, it is actually relatively low compared to, in fact, very low compared to other OECD countries. So um, I'd say we're taking a, a responsible but compassionate approach to the cost of living. We know we can get through it together. We've done that with COVID. We've got steady leadership. And what we can't afford right now is to ignore climate change or to give tax cuts to the rich, uh, which will benefit privileged people more than our, uh, our, our working class and those who don't earn. Thank you. Thank you, Ingrid. And Andrew Bailey for National. Hey, well, thank you, everyone. Lovely to be with you here tonight. Um, this is the first of all our debates, so very special to be with you tonight. Um, and let the debate begin. <laughs> 
Hey, uh, first of all, um, it is very important to have a, a strong economy. Uh, we want people to have jobs, good paying jobs, and to be able to get ahead so they can buy a house, can look after their families, have children going to school, and all the good things that every family, and it doesn't matter what demographic you come from, that is the essential of life, and that's what National is about. Uh, we have certainly had a cost of living crisis, and it continues. And one of the biggest focus we will have was how we bring down that inflation over time, but secondly, how we grow the economy, because we haven't been talking about that enough over the last few years. When it comes to consumer affairs, we want people to, um, to be able to buy the right products at the right time and the right price. And I suppose there's a little add to that, which you don't normally hear, which is actually to make sure you get the product that you wanted to buy and not something else. And so getting the right uh, regulatory system in place is really important. We've got a consumer affairs and fair trading side, but also the role of the Commerce Commission. So I think hopefully we might get into the debate around how we structure that, but it's very important that we do have the right protections for consumers, but consumers need a choice as well. And it's very important that we get that balance right. And so looking forward to the debate. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, Sophie is going to take us through um, the cheery first topic, which is the cost of living. But just briefly before we do, what we've done for each of these uh, three main topics that we're talking about tonight is pull data from our quarterly sentiment tracker surveying. So you'll hear both Sophie and I talk about sentiment tracker a lot. Basically, it's a national representative survey that goes out to just over a thousand people every three months and asks them what's on their mind. So what we're basing the questions for each of the sections around is, is what's happening in real time, what people are really concerned about out there, uh, and what, the, what they're telling us. So Sophie, over to you for cost of living. Thanks, John. Yeah, so cost of living, everyone. Um, so uh, in our sentiment tracker, cost of living concerns have steadily increased over the last two years. It was 33% in June 2021, and it rose to 60% in April 2023. So, politicians, this is our concern. If people are now using buy now, pay later to, or personal debt to pay for the essentials, what is your plan to address this? Damien. Well, it's, it's not a fair deal at all. Um, people have been driven to this situation by a government that's spending and inflating the economy and a reserve bank that's made the worst decision on funding for lending in the history of its uh, formation. And all these costs are feeding through to the household uh, where you've got to actually find extra money. And it's not a shameful thing to go out to get credit sources, but as I said earlier with the consumer credit finance guarantee, the banks are tightening up. People have to reach to find extra money just to cover basic costs. And until we kill inflation, which this government's created, we won't get back on track. And this is no disrespect, but over the last three years, this has deteriorated quarter on quarter on quarter. It's, it's really frustrating as a politician not to be able to turn that around. But, you know, in the next government, we hope to do that. And, you know, I don't accuse anybody of overstretching themselves, but they have to be sensible. And, you know, the cost of goods are just out of control. And you would have experienced this when you go shopping in the supermarket. 100 bucks gets you nothing nowadays. You know, even in here, a beer and some food gets you nowhere near what you got three, five years ago. So we believe that 
all those products and services out there have a right to exist in a free market, but they have to be used sensibly. Thanks, Damien. Ingrid, as the um, you know party in power at the moment, um, and inflation, as Damien said, running out of control a little bit, what's your plan to address this? Yeah, thanks for the question. And um, first, I'll just pick up on the inflation pandemic comment because um, we know that all countries around the world have experienced sky-high inflation. It has been one of the um, fallouts, if you like, from COVID. And so all countries have been grappling with how to stop the immediate inflation, but also what's called the sticky inflation that many of you um, would be experiencing, as we all do, at at the um, groceries. So it is a real issue. And um, bringing down inflation is what needs to happen. And as I've said, the the, um, interventions that we've taken... uh, Inflation is projected to come down to the normal 2 to 3% mark by the end of next year. In the meantime, what we're trying to do is target that support, as I said earlier, so that those who are really struggling at the bottom end um, do have the support they need. I'd just be very wary of any promises about of market intervention by right-wing parties because um, the philosophical or ideological difference between us is that as left-leaning parties, we see market failure and we... Uh, appreciate the need to intervene and to have government intervene and use its levers to support fairness, I think um, it's fair to say that the right ideology is much more about the free market, and we can argue that for ages, but if you want um, to bring inflation down and have consumers be protected, it is the left-leaning parties that will do that. Thank you. Um, Andrew, I mean, so Ingrid said that inflation's going to come down by the end of next year, um, so we don't have anything to be concerned about? Or you were shaking your head? Yeah, I am shaking my head. Don't hold your breath. Hey, uh, look, I don't, I'll just deal with Ingrid's comments there, and then I'll get back to your main point. But, look, if you take an economy and you had net debt of roughly $6 billion, and you spend roughly $60 billion in a period of two years... And we've now got a debt um, closer to $65 billion in net terms. Uh, that is what's... Co- $75 billion, that's what has caused the inflation. We've been... Uh, and even uh, independent commentators have been saying, look, when you've got a government that spends a lot of money, much of it in wasteful projects, and you've got a reserve bank that's also lending money and borrowing money in the market, which is what's gone on, that's why we've got such rampant inflation in New Zealand. So that's one of the key drivers. It's not the only driver. We've then had a whole lot of regulations and additional costs put into the economy, and people have to recover the costs. That's why inflation is now embedded in the economy, and inflation will not be at 2% next year. Unfortunately, it's going to be with us for quite some time. And the worst thing about it is you've got interest rates now that are just burning a hole in everyone's pockets. And even for our renters which are the most vulnerable New Zealanders, they're now paying between $150 and $170 extra a week uh, as a result of what's gone on. This is the worst, this is the social issue. And Damien picked up on the issue before in his opening remarks 
The worst thing that's happened in terms of vulnerable New Zealanders is there been the triple CFA changes put in place two years ago. I've said if we get in power, we will remove and take the triple CFA regulations back to where they were in 2020 and then go in and look at rewriting them because the will of Parliament when we passed that bill was to focus on high-cost lenders who are lending to vulnerable New Zealanders. And what has happened now with these stupid regulations that the government put in, in fact the minister by regulation, is hurting the most vulnerable borrowers in New Zealand. That is why they're going off and thinking about buy now, pay later schemes, right? And not only have we got an economic issue with uh, people being not able to afford and pay for their daily groceries and their rent, but we've now got a social issue of, as a result of those policies. They are outrageous, we're going to repeal them, and we're going to be focused on what the will of Parliament was, is about looking after vulnerable New Zealanders. Thanks, Andrew. I mean, so you've said that you're going to repeal the triple CFA. I'm going to take it back to 2020 rules and right. then start again. So is, th is that the answer, um, Julianne? We wouldn't just, you know, go back to 2020, we'll reverse time. Um, I, look, there are many factors that have been contributing to inflation, but we can't take our eye off the, the ball, which is we can and must reduce inequality in New Zealand. We had a shocking increase in inequality and child poverty as a result of multiple reforms, but particularly the 1990s National Party policy changes and we've never had a government since that's really had the courage to reverse that. And to do that, we do have to take on inequity in the tax system because there are some people who are mega rich and they're not feeling the effects of inflation the same way that the poorest New Zealanders are. And it's not right. So I think um, we should be focusing on addressing inequality and addressing climate change. And if we do those two things, that will help with all of the factors that are driving cost of living. Um, if we have plentiful, abundant, renewable electricity and we have energy efficient, healthy homes, then people won't have to spend so much on power. If we have a, a cap on how fast you can raise rents, which is what we need right now and only the Green Party is calling for this, then we won't have rents skyrocketing. Um, if we have fair tax changes, we won't have that incentive to invest in property, which is part of that housing price problem. Um, but the most important thing is people have affordable rents, that they have affordable um, renewable electricity and healthy homes, and a guarantee that if they are paying rent, their home is healthy to live in. Um, and then we need to address the issues around food prices. Now, some of what's driving food prices is excess supermarket profit. So we have to address that. The other part that is affecting it right now is interest rates. Interest rates are hitting food producers, and they're passing that on in higher food prices. Interest rates are hitting landlords, and they're passing that on in higher rents. So um, it's becoming like a self-fulfilling cycle at this point. Putting up interest rates to drive down inflation is hitting some people with inflation. So I think we have to look at the systemic issues. There aren't easy band-aid fixes, but the Green Party has a comprehensive plan to look after our people and our climate. Check out our manifesto because there's a lot of smart policies in here that will help people in the short term, medium term, and long term. Thanks. Um, you've picked up on a, a point there around the grocery sector and the uh, price of food and also why those, you know, part of that's excess profits, as you say. But... Um, you know, we've got some reforms underway at the moment. The government has, you know, a grocery commissioner and, um, 
you know, they're looking into all of these things to, you know, look really closely. Is that going to make a difference? Are these reforms um, look, go far enough? The Green enough? Party called for a kind of ombudsman of um, supermarkets, like, 15 years ago, I think. So it's great to finally see some movement in that area. But um, a shorter-term solution we thought was looking at an excess profits tax or raising corporate tax rate because that means more of that excess profit comes back to government, which they can then use to support people through these difficult times. <laughs> Go, Ingrid. I'm just wondering if I could um, outline, um, because it is... Uh, the select committee actually that Andrew and I worked on and we worked very closely together actually to make the grocery bill as good as it could be. For, so for those who are not aware of the detail, um, what it basically does, it, that one of the main things is it um, prohibits exclusive and restrictive land lease, which some of the giant supermarkets were doing. We know it's a duopoly. Um, so uh, again, when we look at market failure, it's pretty obvious a duopoly is... Um, is doomed to fail. And so we're really proud that we've t tackled that. But we've also put in, um, uh, we worked really closely on the business arrangements because on the face of it, it's, it seems easy to pass legislation. But actually, there's real complexity and sophistication in the way that some of the wholesalers have tied up the market. And so we've really worked through the um, the legislation to make sure that they can't kind of work around it. There is the new grocery commissioner, as Julianne mentioned, um, and um, also unit pricing is in supermarkets, so you can actually compare apples with apples, pardon the pun, rather than apples and pears. Um, and finally, um, we are investigating the merits of divestment to pr promote competition. I know there are some people who say the bill doesn't go far enough. I think um, time will tell, and there will be reviews of it as well. But this is a really brave step. We've taken a bold step that um, we've all known for ages that supermarkets have had a duopoly and it's been unfair competition and we've actually done something about it and I, I really want to acknowledge the work of the select committee too um, because that you know it was a really collegiate experience and I think that we've got some good legislation as a result of that. Thanks yeah. Ingrid. I think can, can I just say a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Hey yeah you'd be surprised that some committees actually work uh, quite well and parties do collaborate sometimes and this, this select committee that um, Ingrid's talking about was one that's tied in terms of balance of power um, and it was a collaborative um, effort. Uh, one other area that you're missing is that we uh, put in place short uh, term, quick term or quick resolution of disputes between suppliers and the supermarket chains because it was an issue I was particularly concerned about because if you have long delays, then the supplier often is in a worse position. Um, we have largely supported the reforms. Um, we're very concerned, and I'm particularly concerned, about how we've legitimised supermarkets to be able to now move further down the value chain into wholesaling. If we've got that wrong, uh, then we've legitimised another continuation of the supermarket's power um, so that's probably the biggest issue, uh, and I'm talking on behalf of our party from our perspective. Um, and, we've, and the main point I've always been saying about it is very important the grocery commissioner has the requisite skills and understands the industry uh, very well. Time will tell whether we've made the right, well, the right appointment's been made. But uh, the central, so you can do these structural reforms. But the central core of the case is that we've had uh, food prices go up by 33%. And so uh, dealing with those cost pressures that everyone's facing 
And, you know, it is financing costs that Julian talks about, but it is labour shortages. We've had labour shortages for five and a half years. It's just starting to get resolved now. But And all the other rules and regulations put on to businesses and on to employing people and all that sort of stuff, that's what's fed into inflation. That's going to be the hardest thing to turn around, and that's why inflation might be back at 2% next year. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Um, I mean, the ACT Party generally doesn't like regulation, is my understanding. But so, do you think the the um, regulation around the grocery sector goes far enough, or it went too far? Um, look, I'm not going to BS anyone in this room. Um, since the competition uh, bill was announced and the studies were announced, um, food prices have just skyrocketed. No serious player will come to New Zealand like a, an Aldi because the barriers to entry here are too high and they can't get licenses for liquor, they can't get wholesale operations up and running of scale. And so this bill doesn't address far enough competition. It doesn't structurally change the market. It gets a guy in a white coat called a commissioner who will fix a few prices, but it's not adequate. And the Act Party is, is not supporting that bill. What would you do instead? We need to bring new players into the market here to increase competition. And we need to actually make this category by category competitors really like all the other FMCG product companies have to compete on price and they have to compete on value. And you get to decide your choice of what you want to buy. All right. Well, how's everybody feeling? Upbeat? Cost of living is a thing, um, but let's move on to something a little bit more cheery, and that is the climate crisis. So, um, based on our sentiment tracker research, 36% of people don't think that New Zealand is equipped to tackle climate change, versus 26% of people who do think that we are. On a similar vein, 33% of people don't think we're doing enough to address climate change, versus 31% of people who do. So I guess my question for the panel, and let's mix it up, we might start with you Ingrid, and this gets right to the nub of it, right to the, I guess, the philosophical underpinnings of the parties that you, you will be choosing between, um, you know, when it comes to the election. What do you see as the role of government in our move towards becoming a sustainable society? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I think if I look at traditional economics, what we have is a model of efficiency and um, effectiveness. And the thing that has been missing from that widget kind of approach has been resourcing and the fact that we live on a finite planet. I think there are some really good questions coming up now about what we do um, around post-growth capitalism, if you like, because growth is slowing down um, because the resources are running out. And we do need to be thinking very carefully about uh, whether GDP, for example, is the right way to be measuring the economy. I'm a huge fan of wellbeing budgets and of the living standards framework. I think it's a much more holistic way to assess whether our economies are serving our people and our planet. And what we need to do is, uh, is um, act with urgency, but also take people with us. And I, I do sit to the left of our party. I, am, uh, um, I, I think climate change is really urgent. But I think 
if we are to to get this over the line, we need to take people with us, which mean, means we need to be pragmatic uh, to get to our carbon zero future. I like the initiatives that we've had recently with New Zealand Steel and with Fonterra, where government is supporting big business in particular. Some people say that's corporate uh, charity. I don't think so. If it's going to have a big impact on our carbon emissions, then we need to go where the impact is first. Um, I also think that climate uh, performance reporting needs to be in our economic indicators. When I sit on the select committee, um, I am often the one that is asking about the climate indicators of our government agencies, um, but also the private sector businesses that they support, because we need to move from a situation where climate is seen as a risk measure and start looking at proactively uh, measuring sustainability. That's what I'd like to see. And it's quite a, um, a nerdy part of performance management and of economic management. But I think if we can really shift the dial that way, we'll get fundamental change. So a bit of labour policy and a few of my personal views in there as well, well. All right. Well, I might pick up on that point you made around NZ Steel and, and others. It's, it's interesting to compare. Uh, I mentioned I was at a panel yesterday and um, someone compared... Um, um, Rio Tinto's work with the, with the TY Smelter where they've made their own decisions and come to those decisions on their own to um, shift to a more sustainable model and the, and the New Zealand steel. I might ask Andrew this question I mean, because it does go to the philosophy of your party. Do you, see, do you see a role in sponsoring companies to make commercial decisions and, and subsidising those commissions through taxpayer funds or do you see that as a form of, of, of corporate welfare? Hey, well, um, there's an issue of degree, isn't it? Like in all answers, um, we... If I, I'll, I'll come back to your question. I just want to lay out. First of all... No, no, I'm going to come back to your question. National took us into um, meeting the Paris Accord, right? We signed the agreement, the original agreement, and uh, we worked alongside uh, the Green Party with James Shaw, uh, around some of the bills that got passed and certainly support the ETS. Um, so at, at that level, um, you know, there's been a lot of alignment across all political parties about the impact of climate change. And in fact, I've been lucky enough to have been to the North Pole and the South Pole. And if you ever want to see the impacts of climate change, particularly North Pole is the place to see it. Uh, it's been devastating. But in terms of... Um, the role of whether a government should be writing out a cheque to large corporates. Uh, the question is, would that entity already do that uh, expenditure or not? And to what extent the government might spend that man money to activate that more quickly? And that's essentially what the role of the ETS is. The ETS is meant to be a, a, um, a mechanism for corporates uh, to be able to assess and take into account their uh, emissions. And as the price rises, and it's risen dramatically, uh, that will lead to different decisions. We, in those particular cases, we haven't supported that, uh, the, um, the government writing out a cheque. Uh, but because they are large corporates, the argument is that they, if we hadn't, they wouldn't have done it as quickly. But that probably gets to a more fundamental question. We want to make sure there's better indicators 
so that corporates do make that decision and make it in a timely way. Because not only we don't want to drive, you don't want to have to force companies to do this. Actually, most of it. This is what most people forget about the argument. If you're a food producer trying to export to the UK, and we've seen it with the wine industry, your carbon miles and the impact of the way you sell your product into Harrods or wherever it might be, all those questions have been asked of it. So there's a huge amount of pull in terms of driving those companies to make those decisions. And they should be rational uh, decisions. Governments often don't make good decisions when they get involved in those types of um, activities. All right, thanks for that, Andrew. Julianne, do you think um, these companies would have moved as quickly without a little bit of government encouragement? Um, I think I think they were already receiving some implicit support from government under subsequent governments, National and Labor, in terms of free allocations in the ETS. So... Um, if we can swap that, you know, and, and offer them support in a more direct way that isn't just subsidizing an emissions intensive activity, but actually reduce the emissions here in New Zealand, that's a good thing. Um, look, the Green Party has been talking about climate change for longer than any other party in the New Zealand Parliament. And we have a very clear idea of what's needed to support communities to be able to live better. And most of the changes, if not all of the changes that we need to make will improve and enrich our lives. We will have cleaner air. We will have more walkable streets where kids can walk and cycle again. We'll have warmer, drier homes that are more energy efficient. It's just win, 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 win. Um, and we'll, you know, hopefully do pull more of our fair share, do pull our weight in the global fight to keep temperatures, um, you know, below the, the Paris Agreement. But I just, I do have to say that um, I'm sure that Andrew believes everything he said, and it sounds really good. But what I've seen is that the National Party has campaigned against every practical action that the government has taken to make it easier for people to reduce emissions. So I haven't yet seen a plan that is credible in the least. And and I also sorry. yeah, and 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 also I you know we have the climate minister James Shaw. We've set up the climate commission. That system is now working. But um, imagine how much more we could get done with more green MPs and more green ministers around the cabinet table because Labour, unfortunately, the Labour government has taken a number of short-term actions that kind of set us backwards because they were worried about the um, polls, you know, like, and worried about the short-term impacts. We need that long-term commitment and the actions that will support people so we can get through. And I, I really think only the Green Party can bring that to government. All right. Thank you, Julianne. Um, Damien, you got off quite lightly there. We were getting on so well. Um, yeah. Any yeah. thoughts on the role of government in in, my, in our sustainable future? Yes, I do. Um, it's interesting when you put your kettle on at night that, um, and we've had a power failure in, um, in part of the region last year, was that the electricity load and the prices for electricity are just going through the roof. And the onset of renewable energy sources isn't moving fast enough to replace the load that we require. So even Anthony, um, that Labour guy that came over the other day, um, the leader of the Labour Party um, in Australia said, we need to use gas. And 10% of our um, energy load needs to be in using gas sources. And that's because we're going to face a national security issue and a threat to our society if we don't actually have that. On the corporate welfare issue, I think the government's been suckered a bit 
Um, you can't get Aussie Blue Scope Steel companies coming and sucking money out of the treasury. They've got that funds themselves, right? And it's the same if you want to replace boilers. These people have it in their capex, but they come, they come to the government and say, oh, this will happen faster if you give us the money. And what does the government do? It just gives them the money. And that's your money. That's your hardworking taxpayers' money. And you, we're all going to be paying for that. So there has to be a balance here. Even today, Jim Shaw came out and said, the ETS changes. It's great. It's good. Because petrol prices will go up and so will, so will um, energy costs. Well, how can that be? a sustainable position. And the last thing I'd add on this is that the Labour Party and the Green Party need to realise that they have to make us as competitive as other top five trading nations. And they're all polluting China, America, UK. We're hollowing out our industries, we're hollowing out our lifestyles, so we can compete with that on a global stage. Let's have our own strategy for New Zealand and let's be successful with it. All right, thanks, Damien. No, I, a, right a really quick one, a really quick one. 30 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah, just, just a very quick right of reply that um, electricity prices compared to 2012 are actually relatively lower and that's because of the alternative uh, power sources that we have. I've seen that graph in a select committee uh, recently. The other thing is that um, when we, um, the, the public good, the public good and the public investment which, which they get from uh, some of these big projects actually helps New Zealand Inc. to be able to do more trade such as with the European Union, which has very strict um, laws and rules when it comes to negotiating treaties around uh, farming and so on. So there is a real public benefit, and that's why governments should intervene. All right. Thank you for that, Ingrid. Um, look, we do have one more question that we wanted to get through, but I can see Paul Fuse down the back of the room. His, his head is lighting up like a traffic light uh, at, at, the, at the thought of um, those comments around prices. And if you're interested in finding out more, actually, we did a podcast on this just last week, uh, which, um, which covers off a lot of these topics. So look, Sentiment Track is telling us that 40% of people find it difficult to assess the truthfulness of green claims, and only 12% said it's easy. This is going to have to be a quick fire round because we're running out of time. Do we need better regulation to regulate greenwashing? Damien, you can start. Yes, no BS. Um, the product's got to do what it says it does. It's got to be environmentally friendly. It's got to be priced properly, and it's not going to pollute the environment. And if, if that's the case, we can have choice and go and buy it. You, you, you've got the power to change those things. Governments don't. Thanks. But I'm Julian. pretty sure that in order for consumers to be able to assess the veracity, there's going to have to be some rules and regulations around advertising. And I'm pretty sure the ACT Party is opposed to that sort of thing. So I just I feel like it's a little bit incoherent there. But here, waste reduction and circular economy outline a whole lot of our plan to ensure that uh, people can't get away with greenwashing. And I think people really like those policies, but I will let you read it yourself in our manifesto, Waste Reduction and Circular Economy. And we've got a whole lot of other policies in the dab, manifesto. Dab, dab, green. Greens.org.nz. Right? Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. appreciate, appreciate you being brief. Ingrid, your thoughts on whether we need further uh, regulation to, to help us, help protect us as consumers against greenwashing? Yeah, I think in an era of misinformation, the antidote across the board, not just for greenwashing, but for everything to do with consumers, uh, politics and so on, is transparency. We do need more information. That's why this government is looking at uh, uh, the banking sector, looking at climate change, uh, looking at 
many sectors to provide more regulation around transparency. That is going to be the proportionate way to regulate that also makes sure that prices don't skyrocket. And I see no reason why greenwashing isn't included in that. All right, thank you for that. Andrew, to, to bring us home on this topic, yeah, yeah. you want to regulate? Yes, yes. Um, people's, uh, should, if you're saying you're saying something and you're making that claim, you should be up for it, you should be, and if it's wrong, uh, you should be challenged on it. Uh, heartened by the fact that the Commerce Commission has issued guidance and is actually um, p uh, pursuing some people about it. So it looks like it's been addressed to some extent. That's definitely arguable, but we'll move on. <laughs> I said, I said, some extent. The, the so, Commerce so, so, Commission so, so, yeah, have extent. done some work on it. They have done some work on it. Yep. That's Your question true. is whether it should be more, right? Well, it's more of a, it was more of a statement, but um, yeah, yeah. I think it should be. But more. I did say um, claims had to be uh, verifiable. Yep, right? that's true. So the existing law does does require substantiation. Good. Right. Here you go. We agree. Conflict couch, not so conflicty couch. All right, we're, in, we're moving into the quick fire round. Are you ready to go, Soph? I am ready to go. All right, after you. All right, we have five minutes. That's five minutes to get through this, and we have nine questions. So I'm, I'm going to need ambitious. you to be brief. Um, keep it sharp, people. 62% uh, of people reported seeing price inaccuracies at the supermarket. Does there need to be more oversight and increased penalties for infringements? Damien? Yes. Great. Yes. Yes, that's why we've introduced the legislation. Yes. Great. Nice. Well done, team. That was really good. What should ComCom be looking at after the banking inquiry? Uh, it's, it's really, I'd like to revisit the supermarket law again. I'd go back to building supply, construction supplies. I think insurance is a big one. No, they are only doing half the job. If you're going to get the, uh, a review of the banking sector, why do you only focus on the retail? Why don't you focus on the business? So it's actually, the government's allowed half a, half a job to be done. All right, great. Uh, should we be making manufacturers and importers responsible for the end waste of their products, Andrew? Yeah, there's, there's an element of circular economy and there's an element of product Brief, steward, stu stewardship. And most companies are getting demanded uh, from their customers anyway. But uh, in principle, yes. But in principle, Great. Thank yes. Thank you, Ingrid. Absolutely, they should be. I've seen the devastation in Southland um, and Otago, and we need to clean this up. That's Julian. great. Why haven't previous Labour and national governments then implemented um, product mandatory product stewardship schemes, uh, implemented a comprehensive right to repair for consumer products, um, improved product labelling cool. with clear standards, Green um, mandate waste reduction. Uh, There's a lot we, more we could do. Um, landfill is our great dirty secret in New Zealand, and we need to use modern technologies to... Um, get on top of waste and management, and it's time to loosen up the regulations to allow that to happen. All right, that was not where I thought that was going. Um, so, therefore, landfill, but then would you support a right to repair and uh, legislation to reduce e-waste, Damien? Uh, yeah, well, we'd, we'd like an integrated plan, one that uh, takes that every mean? single product and, and treats it for its merits. Okay. Yes, right to repair is in our in here. Well, we'll do it. Fabulous. Um, yes, and also my personal view is that products should be able to be um, repaired and made in a way that they can be repaired, which is not always the case. 
Yes, and that's the answer, what Andrew is saying. Great, all right. We've got three minutes. Would, yep, off you go, John. Right. Would you support legislation to protect children from exposure to all forms of unhealthy food marketing in the places they learn, live and play? Andrew. Of course, uh, there shouldn't be exploitation of children. Okay, thank you. It's a very fuzzy way that you framed it. I think regulation is important, but it needs to be proportionate. Okay. Yes, yes. Nice. And right. National got rid of healthy food for school for and for kids in schools. That was no, a Green no, Party no, initiative no, no, under the no, last government, didn't. and they got no, rid of it. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Damien, you're up. Uh, by the way, we started that program. You did not. Go for it, Damien. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you've heard a lot of stories about KFC and rooftops at the moment. Um, but um, our kids are getting unhealthy. There's no doubt about it. And I think sugar is a big issue. And we need to address that as well as fast food. All right. Thank How? you. Quick fire. Uh, are the current FTA a sufficient deterrent business? Julianne. Um, no. Ingrid. Maybe, yeah, may, maybe, and it depends on which FTAs and... and um, oh, sorry, I mean the Fair Trading Act, not, not, oh, not a free I, trade I, agreement. Yeah, I was yeah. talking about free trade agreements, which is compli complicated. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe. Uh, the re uh, penalties were reviewed in 21. Uh, they'll obviously need to be reviewed in time, but to do that, it'll need everyone to be involved in that process. But some may be light, some may be... I know you've got a strong view they should be increased. Damien? Yeah, just I think a cross-party approach to that one would be good. Okay, cool. And lastly, currently EQC covers flood-damaged land, not homes. Should the government intervene in the market to subsidise flood-damaged homes? No. We, we've already uh, increased the EQC cover quite significantly to 150,000. So that's something that we went through with and okay. we supported that in the House. Cool. Thank you, Andrew. Ingrid? We have to have climate change mitigation and adaptation. We have a fund of 3.6 billion. Uh, floodwater is the most tricky part. We need to do a comprehensive review looking at um, household insurance, social insurance, and water. It's a big piece of work, and we must tackle it. We can't put it off. All right. And I think our whole approach to climate adaptation has to take into account the fact that people are going to have their homes damaged. They're going to have to move. Are we talking um, about insurance? Yeah. We're talking about the climate, climate impact. Floods oh, come well from rain different. in the sky. But no, Sorry, Julianne, you were finishing. But I mean, I guess the point is we have to find a way to work together to ensure that people have good lives. And in order to do that, we are going to need to use the vehicle of government and maybe more local government, empowering local government to help communities find okay. solutions. Quick fire. Thank you. Damien, bring us home. Yeah, number, we're number two in the world for insurance claims. And so therefore, prices are going to go up. So we need to really lobby hard why that should be the case and make sure there's no profit sharing from that. Excellent. All right. Boy, we're whistling through it. We're up to our last topic, uh, which is transport. And we want to kind of split this into two topics. Firstly, the big picture, and then secondly, hone in on flight rights for consumers. So based on our sentiment tracker data, one in five people recently reported changing their transport habits to become more sustainable, which is really cool. But unfortunately, under 50% of people trust our airlines, which is not so cool. 80% um, of consumers support, um, of, of our supporters reported driving less because of fuel prices, which 
seems good on one hand, but actually from a cost of living perspective may not be so good. But most of them still wouldn't choose an electric vehicle. So with that context in mind, I guess the first question we have is, what are your key priorities for transport and transport infrastructure? And let's start with you, Andrew. Um, well, first of all, first of all, um, it's multimodal. Um, so we still do need roads, and we need strategic roads. And one of the most productive things you can invest in is actually motorways. Uh, rail is important, and uh, obviously for the right. Um, business case and for the right areas and the right lines it's got a very important part to play not only in terms of moving freight but also passengers and then uh, obviously there's all the other uh, the modes and you know Julian Gentle was saying how she rode a bike here which is great uh, walking and all those sort of things um, I think that's all you know that there should be an integrated approach there's no one approach because for different people and at different times in their lives they've got uh, they want different options so we want to make sure that we've got the arteries to be able to move freight and people quickly, but also provide for the other opportunities around what people might want to do. Thank you very much. That is a great answer. I did not expect to come here tonight and hear a National Party MP concede that rail, where appropriate, is the appropriate option. I think that's, that's well, fantastic we, and that's a step forward for New Zealand. Ingrid. When I said maybe on uh, the Fair Trading Act, um, one of the things our government has done is really try to bolster ComCom so that people don't have to litigate. Um, that is the, where the maybe comes from. As far as transport goes, we've committed to spending $71 billion over the next five years on infrastructure. We are the party of infrastructure um, and we need to be able to get better rail and public services to get people off and out of their cars. That's why we had the uh, Select Committee inquiry into rail. Um, but we also need to transition, which is why we have got the um, subsidies around half-price transport and free transport, um, targeting people, getting them to change their culture of car use. Also, uh, the subsidies for electric vehicles, which have seen a significant, I think it's uh, more, more electric vehicles into New Zealand in the last three or four months than there have been over the last something like five years. I don't have the exact figures. Um, so for us it is not just going pressing a button and going out of cars and into public transport. We need to take people with us and that's why we're doing that in an urgent but phased way. Awesome. Okay, thank you, Ingrid. Um, Julianne, we'll come to you in a second. I just wanted to read a quote, and this is from Sentiment Tracker. This is a real live human of New Zealand who said this. Transport infrastructure has not been repaired. Many new roads that were promised are still waiting to be built with far too much emphasis and money going to cycle needs. How, how will you win hearts and minds to, to get your policies across the line? Um, look, transport's one of our biggest opportunities and that was my profession before I got into politics. And I'll be giving a TED talk in a few weeks at TEDx Mount Victoria specifically on how we ended up in this situation and how we could have much healthier, happier, better functioning cities, better functioning transport system. Uh, totally non-political, it's just, you know, the background. Um, and I think the big mistake that... Um, people make is they think that car use is a culture, that it's a preference, 
that has been determined without government influence, when in fact government, central and local government decisions have shaped our towns and cities in a way that makes it almost impossible to do anything but use a car. And until we address that, people can't shift. They can't do something else. And you, most people are not going to ride an e-bike or use a bike or even be able to get around on their mobility scooter or their wheelchair if they have to mix with fast-moving cars and trucks. So we completely neglected to build a network of safe lanes for people who aren't using large, heavy, dangerous vehicles. Um, if we do that, then we give independence and freedom back to our children to be able to get around their own neighborhoods. And there's a benefit to everyone, even if you never use those cycle lanes, because if parents don't have to drive their kids to school all at the same time, they can let their kids get around independently, there's fewer cars on the road, and that's less traffic. So that what I think what people mistake is they think the things that benefit me are the only things that I use. But in fact, if we make it easier for people to walk and cycle and to use public transport, that's the single most effective way to make it easier for people to use the roads we have. But right now, we're still not in a situation of actively pursuing that step change in active and public transport. And I know it's very emotive that reallocating the space on the, on the public um, roads, but um, we have more than enough car parking there's three or four empty car parks for every car park being used. So we can serve a whole lot of people to park their cars in a much, in a much better way and still enable the public space on the road to enable safe movement of people on bikes um, and efficient movement in buses. So it's, it's like a long story. Definitely come okay. to my TED Talk because I'll explain okay. it all there. You'll hear that expanded at the TED Talk. All right. Damien, ACT priorities for transport and transport infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, we, we believe in cons consumer choice and um, we do think there's an, a national refresh needed in terms of uh, infrastructure provision. Uh, Kiwi Rail sucked up a lot of money, but it hasn't fulfilled its potential. Um, it has no connectivity with the ports up north, and that's why Northland's still so poor. Um, we also believe that the use of congestion charging is now on the table. Uh, we need to be looking at 30-year partnerships as, as governments and parties to really put together an integrated transport plan. And, you know, we can cater for all those options if, if we allow consumers still to have choices about what they want to use. All right. Thank you for that. Andrew, you just said a further comment you wanted to make. Is that... Okay, good, right. I'll ask the last question then. Um, at Consumer NZ, our flight rights campaign has been, it's been a really big thing for us in, over the last couple of years. Do you think we need stronger protections for airline customers with relation to cancellations and delays? And what would you do in this space? You can start, Andrew, and that way you can sneak out if you need to go. Hey, um, well, we supported the Civil Aviation Amendment Act that's just been uh, passed, uh, which gives... Um Minister right to be able to impose regulations on the airlines to disclose more clearly the terms and conditions. Uh, I think that's a good start. That's a really good start. Obviously, there's a lot of, um, there seems to be a lot of airline uh, flights that get cancelled. I've got to catch one now. That's why I'm about to leave. But the, um, the issue is, and I think uh, sometimes the excuse around some of that is poor. And I think this, we've given the capability to do more with it. I think we should just see how that works for the time being. But it is, I think it is an important issue. Okay. Ingrid. 
Yes, it's an important issue. That's why we passed the Civil Aviation Act. I have to say that the experience of catching flights and getting credits during COVID was quite different. Um, it was difficult getting customer service, but the credit system seemed to go some way to getting some equity. And so it's interesting what airlines can do when there's a crisis. Um, I think that we will need to see how the Civil Aviation Act goes. Like a lot of this um, intervention into the consumer market, it's good to... to start a bit more gently and then take a more proportionate approach if necessary rather than come in with a sledgehammer because it's always much harder to undo things and you can put people out of business. I have to thank Consumer NZ, I think, for your advocacy because in February 2020, well, generally, I'm a member too, but um, uh, in February 2020, I booked uh, really, really expensive airline flights to go to my brother who lives in the States, his wedding in July 2020. Um, and uh, the only reason I was able to get, well, easily get a refund on that is because Consumer raised with Air New Zealand the fact that flights to the United States or involving a United States leg were, were actually should be covered by the Consumer Protection uh, that's well, that's there actually in the, United the American States. Consumer Protection. Yes, it's, so, yeah. it's yeah. You only got that because the Americans have. Yes, I only law. got it because the Americans did it, and then um, you uh, made it really clear so Air New Zealand could, you know, actually had to give us our money back. So thank you. And of course, everyone should have had that protection. I think no, even if you weren't flying to the United States. So you know, let's fix that. Cool, Damien. Any thoughts? That's good news. I didn't hear that. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I think there's two elements to air transportation. One is airports themselves. Um, they, as facilities, they're charging more and more fees to get you up in the air and to facilitate you when you're on the ground. And we don't have enough competition in the market, but slowly that will change because um, United Arab Emirates, um, China, or other airlines will come here and connect us to points around the globe. So I think um, there's nothing better than air travel if you're into it. Um, it just needs to be priced properly, and you know, maybe maybe the next inquiry should be into that. Interesting, yeah. I mean, there's a pretty significant um, percentage of ownership in New Zealand that the government holds. That could be an interesting inquiry. All right. Well, I think I think we're pretty close, aren't we, Soph? Yeah, I yeah. think I think we're pretty much there. Imagine. And so uh, our uh, final little part, unless John, you're looking at me concerned. No, I'm just wondering what you're going to do. Oh, great. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, is each of our politicians have 60 seconds to wrap up their consumer platforms and let us know why we should uh, vote for their party and th themselves in the case of um, Julianne. <laughs> um, Andrew, since you uh, have to run. Hey, well, first of all, thank you, everyone, for coming tonight. Thank you to the panellists. And for to the Consumer New Zealand for what you do, I think um, a very important role that we have independent people that can, or organisations that do lobby and make th us politicians aware of stuff. So just want to acknowledge that and you have had some successes. So I think that's a really important role. So um, look, I think uh, uh, getting, as I said at the outset, it's very important that people can get the right products and services at the right time at the right price and get the products that they want. Um, it, the solution is not always regulatory though, and I think the, Part of the questions tonight sort of always assume there's a regulatory solution. That's not always the case. Sometimes there's other ways of achieving the same outcome, but we do want to make sure that people get what they want and need and have 
paid for. And so we are committed to that, um, and the role of the, uh, the Commerce Commission is a very important part of that, but um, how we structure that and how we have uh, the right sort of framework in place to make sure New Zealanders are protected is something we'll be keenly looking at if we were to win their government. Great, thank you. So, right product, right time, regulation and moderation. Ingrid. Ingrid. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, just to give you an idea of the impact that you can have on people's lives, shout out to my 86-year-old father who doesn't make a single purchase without doing extensive research into back copies and current copies of Consumer Magazine um, and gets himself quite tied in knots because there's a lot of information in there. So um, it, it, you do play a really important role with your advocacy, as Andrew has said. Um, from our perspective, I think um, we do see the need for regulation and while incentivisation helps, we're in an era of big business and so the David and Goliath um, situation is is more exacerbated than it was 10 years ago. That's why we need, that's why we're looking at ComCom as a way of, and commissioners, grocery commissioners, um, more transparency in the consumer sector so that people have more freedom of choice. Uh, when there's more transparency, then, then there often doesn't need to be price quality regulation, which is an extra layer of regulation. The final point I'd make is that um, we do see climate change and inequality and transitioning is really important, but we are practical and we need to take people with us. It would be great to go to the land of the Greens and do everything with the press of a button tomorrow, but we will lose um, New Zealand with us. We need to take people and have a fair transition, and that's what this government is doing, treating climate change with urgency and, um, and having a proportionate approach. Thank you. Julianne. Um, I disagree. I think that the only way we can bring people with us is to show them the benefits. And unless we take some pretty substantial action to fix inequity in the tax system, inequality and insecurity out there um, for people who are really struggling, we're not going to be able to make the transition that we need to make. And we do need to work together. Um, and all of the policies that are in here, I assure you, are evidence-based and very practical. As we have demonstrated, the Greens have been on the fringe of government for two terms, and we've been able to achieve a whole lot. But the, you know there's so much more that needs to be done, and there has never been a better time than now to vote Green, to vote your values, to get representation that is going to fight for people and the planet, because that is the thing that is most important to all of us. Um, our fight is to help you as consumers and taxpayers to um, have a great life in New Zealand. It's a superb country and I, I've been very lucky it's adopted me over the last 25 years and I made it to Parliament to, to change a couple of things. Reduce the size of government, allow you to be in control of your lives and to get government and regulation as much out of your life as possible. There is a need for it but it has to be sensible. And we believe that this magazine and your organization has got values that I hope are still here in 20 years' time. And it's, I think it was 1959 you started this? Yeah, you've got to be congratulated. I don't think there's many organizations that have stayed as relevant. So I wish you all the best, and um, we look forward to the election. Excellent. Thank you. All right. All right. Can I get one more round of applause for all of our MPs?
And that's it. Thanks for joining us. You can find more of our pre-election coverage on the Consumer NZ website and also in the upcoming magazine. Thanks to all of the MPs and their teams for joining us as well as our live audience for bringing the vibe and meeting the minimum bar spender. That was very Yeah, that was super important that happened. Yeah. I really didn't want to get stuck with that bill. I hope you got something out of this and I'll see you in the next episode. This episode was hosted by John Duffy and myself, Sophie Stewart, and was produced by Tom Ray-Smith. Matiwa. See ya. Hello, I am Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we're working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.